Hi, this is David from Wedding Business Growth. Wedding Business Growth is committed to helping you succeed in the wedding and events industry and grow your business in a sustainable way. Thank you for tuning into Wedding Business Growth Podcast. And now stay tuned for part two of this episode. And mm-hmm. it's at a spot you're comfortable and it's at a spot where your product is being maximized because I don't need to think about where to set my stuff up if I'm a DJ. I know where they want me to go. I know how to load in, how to load out. I can be more efficient. I can be there with them. I know that, you know, this is going to be done over here every time. So I'm, I'm prepared. I'm ready. I speak to the client about it. I help them understand the experience that, that they're going to go through from my perspective when they need my help there. All of those things come into play and it just it just increases your value to, like you said, that one time client, but then also increases your value to that permanent client, which is that venue. And, and, and when you look at it, too, it's a no brainer. I mean, the like, let's take a venue that does Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And let's say you're the DJ that is booked for all three days. Instead of taking your equipment in and out, if you booked all three jobs, they'll if they love you you will be allowed to leave that equipment there for all three days. So your minimal in and out is one in and on Sunday out. And you have made money for three days. I mean, maybe just changing where your location is, but that's it. I mean, it's super easy. And those are the relationships that I try to explain to people to build. I mean, for me, um, one thing that always rings back in my memory bank is there's a, a, a castle. It's like an American castle in the outskirts of Pennsylvania. I did a lot of work there. And I was probably the only caterer planner allowed. So we were a planning company that happens to own a a catering company attached to it. I could come in and I mean, there were works of art there that were priceless. I mean, there was a a, a libation bowl that dates back to before Christ walked the earth. Mm -hmm. And we we didn't have security walking us. I could roam the building because they trusted us. They knew that we were going to take care of it. And there was this trust factor. And when you build that with a venue, you are no longer watched every time you walk in the door to the point where the manager is saying, I want him here all the time. I can't make you exclusive, but I want him. Here's what I love about everything and both y'all are saying is that you really have the capability to, to, to make all of this happen yourself. You can Mm -hmm. do this Monday through Friday. You don't want to do it on the weekends when everybody's busy, but you can make an appointment with, somebody at the venue and you can ask them these kinds of questions as Frank was alluding to, where should I be loading in and loading out? Should I, you know, are you okay with gaffer's tape? Would you prefer that we use a, a, a mat or whatever because of the, the finish on your floors? Um, you know, what are the, what are the things that really are going to make you say what Fausto just did? We want this person. And, and then you're playing with house money because they've told you everything. They've told you everything to do. And you just have to execute at that point. I'll tell you one thing that, that's interesting to me. And I, and I know geographically, it, it's always fascinating how different it is. So one of the things, and, and Fausto, this is a great question for you. And Frank can chime in as well. But one of the things that I've really noticed over the last, I'm going to call it five years, if I really would put a time frame on it, prior to that, like to me, I, I was knocking down the doors of venues left and right. And then about five years ago, there started to be this trend of all of these venues requiring couples, talking about weddings mostly, to have an outside planner to be involved in their event at that venue. So it became this situation where 
the planner has a lot of control in their hands. And I started wondering, is all of this effort with the venue where the cards should be played at now? Or, I mean, the obvious answer is some of those cards need to be shuffled over to that planner. But do all of them need to be shuffled to that planner at that point? Or do you feel, I, I mean, I think I already know the answer, but do you feel like there still needs to be this play with the venue anyways? No, because I, I think the, and, and I'm going to take my planner hat off. I think planners want to dominate and they want to ba basically create exclusives like caterers have done. So for 35 years, caterers knew the trick. And so the pyramid works one way. Here's your pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is the venue. Then you have catering. Then you have photography. Then you have music. And then you have planners. Somehow along the line, they want to up to right here and be second to control what's happening without asking for exclusivity. So it does not put them in the driving seat. And so now I'm going to put my planner hat on. Yes, I kind of like that, but I don't. Because if I want that, then I want to go after it as exclusive so I control the whole shebang. And then my company runs it all. So we have five exclusives that are ours, and we're on 89 uh, preferred professional pages that we do business with. Now, that doesn't mean I do business at every one of them, but it does help out. And yes, our company is blocked from certain some from certain venues because there is a planner that's already there and they play that game. And yeah. because we are a planning company, that would be directly taking food out of their mouth. But what happens is now all of a sudden, I always find it interesting because people say, oh, this venue only does, you know, six figures. And I'm like, uh, okay, are you counting everything? Because if you are the planner, if you are not making money off of every single person you have brought in there, don't talk to me about six-figure venues because if the DJ is only making $1,500 and you ask him, hey, was that a luxury event? He's going to say, no, I, I could have played this at the Elks Lodge. Do you see the difference? If you're not making any more than what you already – it's like a venue saying, we're a six-figure – okay, how much were you? Well, we're 20000 You weren't any more money. So that planners have tried to figure a way of, of taking it over without becoming exclusive. And, and I hope I don't offend a lot of my planner friends, but it's the truth. At the end of the day, it, it's broken down because a lot of times couples who go to venues, for instance, if you book a venue that's maybe $10,000 and you have a $70,000 budget, you might not have enough to pay the planner now and the catering and then the DJ and then the photography and everything else. So it's sort of kind of shifting a little bit and it's thrown a wrench in it. But venues got wise to that in 2020 when all the planners threw the venues under the bus, not mm -hmm. up because I knew who my bread and butter was. And so when push came to shove and money needed to be returned, the, the planners were there saying, oh, you have to return the money to the DJs and then to the photographers and then to the venues. And they're like, no, we don't. Oh, no, I'm, de I'm dealing with my couple. They're like, that wasn't your couple. You got that couple from us. Mm -hmm. And then there was this shift again. And so I, I hate to say it. I, I think we're going to go back to, to where the pyramid was. It's going to be venue, then catering, photography, you know, music, and then so forth. So I, I, I see that shift coming back. But that's just me. <clears throat> no, uh, I will no. not complain about that. Yeah, no, and you know what? I, I find it, I find it really interesting that you bring that up. So part of me feels like, because I've actually, I can actually say I've been in the business long enough to have seen that transition, um, where where it went from primarily venues to now like a little bit more like a uh, planner run for a while. But um, 
I, I experienced a lot and I had a lot of venues reach out to me that were venting because I, I have some, you know, right. We talk about not like crossing the line into friend, into the friend zone, but with your, with your preferred professionals, you know, there's a way to be friendly and professional at the same time. And they were reaching out with some very scary stories of planners throwing their venue under the bus so much. Mm -hmm. So one planner even called neighbors of the venue to try to get the neighbors to, to force the venue to do certain things. It was, it was, I felt horrible for them. And if that would have been me, I mean, I would have come out with, with my gloves on and probably would have hurt everybody, including myself for, you know, for making bad decisions, but it, it's tough. And I, and I think that the other thing that happened too, which is why I probably the transition happened in the first place was I think that, I think that venues were, were putting out more money running events when they didn't feel like that was their responsibility to run the event. So if now I force you to get a planner, now I still make the same amount of money. I have one less staff on site and then you go pay somebody else to be the planner. And I think they're starting to realize that may not have been the right move because you empowered people who didn't have, who weren't truly invested in your business and your venue. And now 2020 happens and that coordinator kept their job and showed up wherever that couple agreed to have their wedding. But in the meantime, tried to facilitate getting a refund from everyone else. Bingo. You know, especially like I know, D I know me as a DJ, I was one of the first ones that were, were talked about being cut at, at mm -hmm. different events. Oh, Hey, we can only have 25 people. Sorry. We don't need, we don't need music anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, You're and so, I can't tell you many times I was told I'm non-essential. <laughs> yeah. And right. And that all goes back to that that sort of kind of feeling that they sort of wanted to take over this one realm. But a lot of venues, like I said, that's why we created the, the brokering department of our business. And what that means is we, we take over a venue, we broker it for them, we create their preferred professional list, and we hire their manager. Because I think venues need managers. They don't need a planner telling them what to do, because then it stays in control of the venue. And the venue retains the control of their property. And so what we do is we come in, we fix all the problems, we create a handbook for them so that everybody knows what the rules and regulations, you know, where to smoke, where to go to the bathroom, don't go in the house. If, if it's a lodging facility, that's not a place for any of the vendors to ever be because you can get in trouble for, you know, if somebody stole something, not that somebody would steal, but you know how they blame us for everything. Yeah. And so we created the brokering department, which then gives the power back to the venue and then it's, it's a win-win because it, it makes us shine and they remember us. But when I started my career 35 years ago, I was told these two women, make sure you leave it better than you got it. So we photograph in and we photograph out. And we are always making sure that they sign us out to ensure that we will return there. And when I broke out on my own after leaving the company in Philadelphia, after a long stint with them for 10 years, and I went out on my own, I went to every venue that I did business with and they took people off just to put me on. And that said a lot. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but it's because of how I treated their property. And I think there's the difference between this new shift that's happening. Um, and, it, and, it, and it shows there are like going back to here you are as a vendor or are you a preferred professional? And I know there was a, a follower who wrote something about nobody wants their business controlled. Yep. Absolutely. I agree 100% about that. But there are companies out there like uh, in Philadelphia, there's expert events, Harith Productions. I'll work for them any day. And then basically I come in under their umbrella and they pay me. 
So they're my clients. And so I don't have to deal with the, the couple at all. And so that makes it even like, so for us, if we do that as, a, as the production side of my business, I'll hire the photographer and the, yes, you can meet the client, but they're not your client. I am. Yeah. So there's a, there's a difference. And so some people like that, but some people want to be the show. And I'm like, would you rather just have the money or would you rather be the show? You know what I mean? There's, there's, you're still going to be able to, to produce a, a beautiful event, but we're all going to work under this umbrella. And so we, we do a, a handful of those occasionally, uh, you know, throughout the year. I, I love that you, I love that you said that because I, 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 I have in the past had experiences where it was kind of the other way around where no matter who it was, somebody, some other wedding professional was kind of dictating, controlling. Let me put it this way. I feel like putting us in a position to not give the client what we were, meaning the couple, mm -hmm. what we were hired to give them. And the yep. first thought that comes to your mind is, well, if this is the way that the situation is going to be, then you should probably be my client. So that way I can fulfill what you want me to do. And I don't have a couple coming to me after the fact saying that I didn't give them what I promised what I was going to give them because you wanted me to give them something differently. So I love that you said that. And, and I think that that is a, a healthy professional way to look at the situation. Uh, before we go forward, I want to go back for just a second because Frank, you said something that um, that I've kind of had this hypothesis about as well. And, and I, Faust, I want to get your take on it. Um, Frank, you had said, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially venues kind of saw this situation where it, they could have one less person on staff and then have this outside third-party planner kind of play that role per se and allow the venue an opportunity to maybe save the salary of, uh, of, a, uh, of a staff member. Do you feel, Fausto, that that was what created that shift? Or is that just kind of like a frivolous thought that we've come up with to, to justify it? <laughs> no, you're, you're right. They, they wanted to do something like that. But here was the problem. And then we sort of came in and said, look, I said, I don't mind my catering side working with a planner. And I don't always get the best responses from them because I explained it to them. I said, look, this all boils down to money. You cannot come in as one person and dictate to my entire staff what to do. Because number one, they are on my payroll. So for instance, if you tell Mark to move this table, and he does, and gets hurt, it's my workman's comp that gets hit. Not the venue, not the planner. They walk away scot-free. Now, if you want to play dress up, and you want to hire us, I'll work with you. But you're not going to get 15 free staff members to do your, be your, your beck and call. So with venues, what they were doing, and a lot of venues that I do business with are family owned. So they were seeing this swift. They've become now the day of coordinators. And so what we're doing is really training them on how to create a, a timeline that works cohesively for all of the preferred professionals that are coming in for that day. So basically, the ones that remain is music the caterer and the photographer and maybe the videographer. And if you have a photo booth, other than that, that there's, there's the cake person's not staying, the flower person's not staying rentals aren't. So those are your five people that are, that need to be managed within that five hours and the bar people. Um, other than that, it's pretty easy and having, and this could take us into another t uh, segment that we wanted to talk about was timeline. Yeah, and if absolutely. you have a really good timeline, you will buy all of your preferred professionals a half an hour to eat. And we can get into that when you're, when you're ready. Now, um, no, I was going to say this is a perfect segue. So let's just, just go for it. So it, for me, 
when I'm creating it, I, I do take into consideration that everybody's there. And, and yes, we, we all have had that conversation about, but I have to be fed because it's in my contract. But there it is. It's in my contract. You did not make that contract with me. The client signed it. And if the client chose not to pay it on our end, there's nothing I can do. I will feed you because I, I'm a nice guy, but I want you to thank me, not the couple, because that's coming out of my pocket. So for instance, if you have a, a wedding five to 10, five to six is cocktail hour. By six o'clock, they're already in because we bring them in about five to six minutes, get everybody down in their seats. And my staff is literally rolling around, making sure everybody knows where they're sitting, where their table's at, all of that good stuff so that we can get them in quickly so that we can get either the band or the DJ to line them up, correctly say their name, get them introduced, first dance, parent dances, toasts. And one of the reasons why I do not like breaking it up is you have everybody's attention in the room. I don't have to find anybody. They're all there. You don't have to tell them to stop talking. Now, 6.30 comes, 6.30 to 7.30, you're serving dinner. Dinner is served. You have 200 people. You've served dinner in 11 minutes. I am asking all preferred professionals not to tap me, not to ask me for food. Give me 11 minutes and then you can eat. You are not going to eat first. You're going to eat in 11 minutes after the last plate is served because it's only going to take us 11 minutes because we have this down to a science because I only do plate at dinners. By the time 7.30 rolls around, they are up, cut the cake, the last big thing that the photographer has to shoot, and then you can kick off the party for two and a half hours of dancing because it's over at 10, not 10.01, 10 o'clock. What's important is that dinner has to be good. It has to be wonderful. It has to be all of those things, but it can't dominate the evening. People remember the very beginning and the very end. If those mm -hmm. two things work perfectly, everything else in the middle becomes fluff. But they remember a really good party if they danced for two and a half hours and they're sweaty and they're exhausted and they want to drink because the music was phenomenal. Two and a half hours versus sitting at the table for two and a half hours eating dinner doesn't work for me. And that buys all of the preferred professionals that are working a half an hour to eat their meal. And the last time I checked five hours, half an hour break is what you're entitled by law. So just keep that in mind because I'm, 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 I'm a stickler for that or two 15 minute breaks every eight hours. So that's the law, you know, so, you know, I just want to make sure. That, that, that everybody understands we always, as professionals, we want to feed each other, but also to take into consideration that the, the enormous staff that the catering team has, no matter who what catering team is there, they're just eating in stairwells or very quickly or this and that because they don't mm -hmm. have the luxury of stopping because plates have to constantly be picked up. Glasses have to constantly be picked up. Dinner has to be served. Rooms have to be clean. Broken glass on the dance floor has to be clean. That's all us, the rest of the humans that are working because we hear all the time, I'm human and I have to eat. I'm like, well, what are we aliens? Because we're eating on the run. And so I, you know, I just want to point that out that a very good timeline will work really well for you. And, and for me, I, I, I am not a fan of reviews. We have them. We have great reviews out there. I think I have two shitty ones, which I love looking at because they're funny as hell. But the reviews that come in always talk about our staff, always talk about the, the way we kept the, the event going. And David, if I can share this about that uh, wedding that we did on the 19th. We had a wedding on the 19th of June. And 
as I was getting everybody down the aisle, I was ready to send down the, the bridesmaids and a gentleman, uh, her great uncle, the bride had a heart attack. And my groom was a doctor and four of his groomsmen were doctors. And in my mind, all I'm thinking about is the timeline. The oyster guy is shucking oysters up there. The charcuterie boards have been put out and dinner is being prepped in the garage because we work out of the garage. And that's in my head while this gentleman is literally dead for six minutes until they brought him back to life. And then I have to push the reset button on this entire wedding because there is no redo because this wedding is from 2020 redo to this year. And now this happens and you have to, like I said, separate the emotion. Once the ambulance took him away, we got the, the wedding back on track, got the guests back done, a couple, a little bit of humor, just excitement, got water for everybody, sit them back down. And then boom, 15 minutes into the cocktail hours all we took. But by six o'clock, they were back in the room, 6.30 for dinner, 7.30 cut the cake. They were on buses and out of the venue by 10 o'clock. So keeping that in your mind, but the one thing, I, the music guy was my only glitch in the thing because he, when he first arrived, I said, hey, house rules, 10 o'clock, music is off. Don't go 10.01. It is 10 o'clock. It is very strict in this town. And this venue is having a lot of trouble with the town. No problem. I'm really super excited. I'm stoked. I get to go home. It's a two-hour drive. Perfect. I thought we had a really good relationship. 10 o'clock comes. He still wants to play more music. I have mm. to go over there and throws me under the bus. I don't really care because it's still 10 o'clock. They signed a contract. It's 10 o'clock. I have to turn the music off. Yeah. So that's the rule. That's the stuff that I that that again goes back to the professionalism that sometimes lacks in our industry because if you are told several times that the music shuts off, I don't care if they are swinging off the chandeliers and having the best time. If you are told ten o'clock, it's ten o'clock. It isn't my rule; it's the town rule. And yeah. now you're not only going to get us in trouble, you could potentially shut the venue down. So those are the things that was the only hiccup. And then he left me the dirty table and all the stuff and, and the trash to clean up and didn't even say goodbye. So damn, damn like, those DJs. <laughs> and that, that he is a renegade. And so that, you know, and I'm not putting anybody down because I know when I started my career, I, I, you know, I thought maybe I was hot shit or whatever, but I, I've, I've mellowed. And to me, I think it's really the more you, you give everybody and, and going back to the preferred professional currency the more you track somebody, the more power you have and not power over them, power with them, because it's a it's a relationship. And for instance, I make my bar service four hundred thousand dollars a year or more every year, except for last year, because nobody made any money. Um, and then my rental company, I'm their second highest renter next to the university. So when I call him. So, for instance, I guarantee you that there is not a lot of people that on Saturdays can get a hold of a rental company. But my rental company is available to me until two o'clock if I've missed something or forgotten something. So mm. where everybody else is like, how'd you get that? I'm like, because I have a really good relationship with them and I make them a lot of money and I'm loyal to them. So yeah. everybody else is, is, is jockeying all over the place, stick to one person, make them a lot of money and they will in turn do everything. They'll, they'll be your everything for you and they'll treat your client with the utmost respect and it becomes a us client. All of us are in it together. It's not like when I look in the room after I come in and, and I see my whole team that I've assembled and their clients paying them all. So they don't work for me. And I, I just take a sigh of relief because I know 
I'm not going to have to fight with the band because they want to do a generational dance the minute dinner is coming out. And you're like, how the hell are you going to get them to all sit back down? They're going to go to the bar. They're going to go to the bathroom. They're going to wander outside to smoke and dinner's coming out. And then they're going to say, my food's cold. Well, it's cold because you were standing over there for 15 minutes. So those yeah. are the things that, that separate um, the, two, the two classes for me. Erwan, I'm going to get to your question in just a minute. Um, I just don't, I, I want, I don't want to forget a couple of points that I was thinking. Also, um, we had a person here who said uh, yes, uh, unfortunately, under under the moniker of uh, Facebook user, uh, that person who did that. So we, so we know who you are. If you go to streamyard.com forward slash Facebook and give them permission to, or give us whatever permission to show your name and, and your, your Facebook photo, we'll know who you are. Um, and and learn this recently. Let me just chime in. Learn this recently. If you've done that in the past and it is not working, you actually terrible. may. What's up, Terica? Uh, you actually may need to go to uh, your settings under your permissions and go to Streamyard, the app under your per, under your permissions in your Facebook things to 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 get that to flip on. Because I had that happen in one group where I couldn't get it to flip for that one group and I had to go back in and back in. So just food for thought. If it ever isn't letting, if it ever isn't working, that's how you get it to work. Love it. And, um, and if straight, I'd marry Terika. I'm telling right? you, I'd marry her. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we'd all figure out a way to, to, to have shared custody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to part two of this episode. Be sure to tune in next time for part three on the Wedding Business Growth Podcast.